snap to Mahomes at his belt, sidestepping, fires for the end zone, the pass is going to be caught, touchdown, Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes. I thought he was just jumping in the stands and he grabbed the, he grabbed the camera. I was like, I was like, what the world? Firing down the seam, Tyreek Hill, 10, 5, touchdown, Kansas City. Set the tempo early, baby. Set the tempo early, baby. You are now listening to the official PM15 podcast. Presented by GASN Sports. Dedicated to NFL MVP Patrick Mahomes as he establishes his legacy and continues on his journey to bring a Super Bowl to Chiefs Kingdom. Featuring weekly guests, expert analysis, and fan interaction. Now, please welcome your hosts, Clint Schweitzer and Noah Groninger. Welcome into the official PM15 podcast. I am Noah Groninger alongside Clint Schweitzer. And Clint, we had a little bit of a scare on our hands on Sunday against those Oakland Raiders. Fell down 10 nothing, but a barrage, an absolute barrage in the second quarter from Patrick Mahomes. Four touchdowns, 28-10, to and that's how the game finished, my friend. 278 yards passing, four touchdowns in the second quarter, and that was all the Chiefs would need. Um, unbelievable quarter, one of the best you'll ever see by an NFL quarterback. Um, Mahomes looked shaky early, and the, the whole team just seemed like they were jet lagged. They were not into the game. There was just something. They were sleepwalking. There was something really off about it. The, de- the defense gives up two uh, scoring drives uh, to start the game. The Chiefs fall down ten nothing, and from then on, uh, the Chiefs defense buckled down, forced two turnovers. They were finally getting to Derek Carr and kind of figured out what the Raiders were trying to do. It seemed like Derek Carr. Was really reliant on that uh, the short passing game, and the Chiefs' uh, corners were sort of uh, sitting back and letting that happen early on. They they seemed to really come around, and the, the pass rush got a little better. Although we haven't seen it from Frank Clark yet, our you know 150 billion trillion dollar um, defensive end, <laughs> but uh, Chris Jones was able to um, get through there and get a sack, big for him in a contract year. Um, overall, not a lot of takeaways from this as far as. What you can expect going forward, obviously you saw Eric Fisher leave the game and he's going to be out going forward. Cam Irving really struggled in pass protection and uh, the Chiefs offensive line as a whole struggled um, you know, uh, in the running game. And I think that's something to watch as we uh, see the, the Chiefs host the Ravens on Sunday and what a big game this is. I think at this point you got to put the Ravens up there as one of the top uh, top probably three or four teams in the AFC. Is, is, am I wrong in my assessment there? We saw what they did to the Miami Dolphins in week one. Uh, struggled a bit. Uh, Kyler Murray was able to carve up that secondary for the for the uh, Arizona Cardinals. But what can we expect? Uh, we saw these two teams play last year. Is that what we're going to see this year? Kind of a lower scoring for the Chiefs type of game. What is this going to look like? And do you believe in the Ravens as one of the top teams in the AFC right now? I'm not sure anyone can legitimately say what we're what we can expect, what we're about to see. As you mentioned, they played the Miami Dolphins and they played the Arizona Cardinals. Now, Kyler Murray, he did, he's done some nice things, but neither one of those teams has a great defense. Neither neither one of those teams has a really high flying, potent offense like the Chiefs do. So, I'm not sure what we can expect out of this game. I'm not sure if the Ravens are for real or if it's just been a cupcake schedule and yeah, they've done what they're supposed to do. They've kind of they blew out the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they took care of business at home against the Arizona Cardinals, but it wasn't as impressive of 
of a win as I was expecting against those Cardinals and a rookie quarterback in Kyler Murray and a 37-year-old or even older court, uh, wide receiver in Larry Fitzgerald that is kind of his main go-to target. So it's definitely going to be interesting. I expect the Chiefs to handle business, take care of this, even without Eric Fisher. Sounds he's got some sort of core muscle injuries, going to require surgery, it sounds like. Uh, could be a sports hernia uh, that'll put him down for about four to six weeks is about the time frame for that. And yeah, we're going to have to see more out of Frank Clark. You mentioned it, a $105 million man. And we haven't seen a lot. Obviously, no one saw his supposed alleged interception week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, we're told he did that. So I guess we just believe in the media uh, that they're, it's not fake news that they're feeding us. It actually happened. He got that interception. And then last week, I didn't see a lot from him again. He read a screen. He kind of widened his stance to get out there and made a nice tackle on a screenplay, read it perfectly. Uh, but getting in the backfield, causing havoc, and getting sacks, I have not seen it, and we have to if we're going to take down those New England Patriots. What have we seen so far from Lamar Jackson? Because uh, last year it seemed like that offense was a one-trick pony. He was someone that was going to run the ball 14, 15 times a game. They were going to pound the rock and keep the clock moving, and their defense was going to win games for him. But Surprisingly, you know, he's thrown for seven touchdowns so far and uh, almost 600 yards. Um, what, are we seeing the maturation of Lamar Jackson into a legitimate NFL quarterback? And what can the Chiefs expect on Sunday? Because last season, a game I was uh, I was at, it seemed like they really frustrated the Chiefs. They kept the ball moving. They kept, uh, you know, they kept the chains short. They kept moving the ball. They kept the Chiefs defense on its heels. And uh, Lamar was able to make some timely throws to keep the defense off balance. What can we expect here? Is and is is Lamar becoming a legitimate NFL quarterback when we really wrote him off last year after the playoff loss to the Chargers? Again, I'm not sure what we can take from his first two weeks. He's obviously progressed from last season. Last season, uh, it kind of looked. This is kind of going too far with it, but Tim Tebow-esque as to where you really didn't want him throwing a forward pass. It was 1920s football, three yards in a cloud of dust, and they were successful with that, with the read option plays with Lamar Jackson keeping the ball, super athletic, and with their running game. And they've added Mark Ingram. Uh, he's injured this week. We'll see if he's able to get back to practice and and uh, be out there for the Ravens as they will need him. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure I believe in this Hollywood Brown. He looks like a nice receiver, but... Again, it's against the Dolphins. It's against the Cardinals. They don't have the greatest secondaries. Now, neither do the Chiefs, but the Chiefs have more weapons on the defensive end, whether it's Chris Jones, whether it's hopefully coming on at some point, $105 million, a successful career until he got here for now, Frank Clark. And, I mean, Brashad Breland made a play in the end zone against Tyrell Williams and the Oakland Raiders, made a pick. It was a beautiful play. Traverius Ward came up with an interception last week, so we saw a little bit of improvement in this defense. We're getting home a little bit more with the defensive line. Uh, we got some interceptions, some turnovers from the corners, so I think as tough as it is to say that the Ravens are going to face their toughest defense that they played because the Cardinals and the Miami Dolphins obviously just don't have it this season on that side of the ball. And so when you look at Lamar Jackson in this game, can he get the ball down the field against Tyron Matthew, against Juan Thornhill, who's been impressive and taken over the starting role from Daniel Sorensen? That's going to be a big key to this game. The Chiefs are ready for the run. They're ready for Lamar Jackson to keep the ball, run it 15 times, whatever it's going to be. But can he continue that success he's had in the first two weeks? We will find out on Sunday.
We will, and we're also forgetting that you know the Chiefs for the second straight year have started off with two straight road games and won both of these road games. Now they come home, and uh, this is a big deal. This is going to be a huge environment. I mean, people have been anticipating this here in Kansas City for so long, and, and such a long offseason it was, and all the drama and Tyree Kill and all those things. Now you come back home, and this should be just a raucous environment. There's expecting some storms over the weekend, and I'm not sure how it's going to be. Uh, here on Sunday uh, should be passed by then, but it should be wonderful weather. We're going heading uh, right into fall here, and it's just a tremendous time of year. The Chiefs really um, need to win this game. I mean, I think that this is you know, a battle for AFC supremacy. You've got to win your AFC games, especially when it comes down to tiebreakers. Uh, in the end, I mean, there's going to be seating in, in, the, in the AFC playoffs at stake eventually. So the Chiefs really need a good showing here, and I think that. As I just maybe it's stuck in my mind the game from last year and how hard fought it was and what a war it was and how you needed Patrick Mahomes' magic throwing that ball uh, as he was rolling right, uh, rolling out of bounds, throwing that ball up to Tyree Kill who made that play to keep the game alive. And you think about how hard the Ravens played and, and what they were. So I think there's a lot at stake here for an early season matchup. This is a big one. The Chiefs win this. I think they're well on their way. Uh, to fighting it out with New England for that uh, one spot in the AFC playoffs. And you know what, Noah? We're going to be talking about this and much more with our guest this week. We actually have two guests, but our, our, our big-time guest this week is someone that we haven't heard from in years, a former Chiefs quarterback that has been kind of cast aside, someone that gets a lot of grief here in Kansas City. And we're going to be bringing him on. We haven't heard from him in over 20 years since he retired from the NFL in 1999. He was the Chiefs quarterback uh, in 95 and 96. It is Steve Bono and Noah. We're going to be joining him. He's going to be joining us rather uh, to talk about his career, what he sees when he watches Patrick Mahomes play, playing for Marty Schottenheimer, the playoff loss to the Colts. It's all on the line as we welcome Steve Bono on this very show. And then Sean Smith, former Chiefs defensive tackle, is going to be joining us later too. But Steve Bono, man, we tracked him down. We're bringing him in, bringing him back to Kansas City via this podcast. And uh, it's an important one for us to talk to Steve and bury some of those skeletons from years past it absolutely is and we scour the earth to find these guys uh, we scoured we were the first to, to find and interview lynn elliott uh, after that 95 game the years that he kind of uh, if you want to say go into hiding uh, he's down there in texas and uh, then we found james hasty he hadn't been heard from in all this time and that that's a great interview uh, we hope you kind of go to the archives and check that out uh, on our pm15 podcast here uh, that was our second episode of the pm15 podcast our interview with James Hasty, he gets into all of it. And now we've got Steve Bono. We've scoured the earth. We found him, and he is going to come on. We have a lot to talk about with that 95 game, his thoughts on Marty Schottenheimer, and just kind of get into it on some of this, the bad feelings. And the quote that he had about the worst restaurant in San Francisco is still better than the best restaurant in Kansas City. Did he really say that? What did he mean? We're going to delve into that and get his thoughts and his reactions and uh, I know it's kind of a tough uh, topic, but uh, we're gonna we're we're hard hitting. We can do this. We can bring it up to Steve. And uh, so we've got a lot to talk. And a lot of people forget about this, but he was the 1995 AFC Player of the Year and went to the Pro Bowl. Absolutely did. He ever had over 3,000 yards passing. Of course, everybody remembers the 76-yard touchdown, an NFL record for yes. a quarterback run against the Cardinals. And we're gonna be talking to him about that and uh, kind of what he's been up to since football ended and, and um, kind of just, you know, the fact that 
He was the backup for Joe Montana and Steve Young, and then Joe Montana again here in Kansas City, and then he's given the reins after Joe Montana retired in 1994 and uh, being a part of the 13-3 and season, you know, the, the magical season that Chiefs were the one seed in the playoffs, and of course the heartbreaking loss to the Colts. We're going to delve into it all, exercising some more demons, and you won't find it anywhere but here, the official PM15 podcast. And uh, we're also going to be talking, like I said, to uh, former Chiefs defensive tackle Sean Smith, um, guys, you remember him, what an anchor and what a big force he was on that 2010 AFC Western, uh, division championship team with Todd Haley and Matt Castle and, uh, Jamal Charles and Dexter McCluster and Javier Arenas and all those guys. <laughs> We're going to go back to that a little bit and get his thoughts on the current state of the chiefs. He's still a big chiefs fan, uh, from down in uh, Texas where he lives currently. So a loaded show. And we guys just ask you that you would subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, um, or Spotify, any way you choose to take in podcasts. We appreciate the reviews and the feedback. It's a big part of what we do. It helps us keep going. It helps us keep getting great guests like we have this week. So before we get into any more of the action uh, coming up, we're going to go ahead and welcome our guest. It is Steve Bono. Steve, welcome to the show, my friend. How's everything been going? It's great to have you. How's everything been going and uh, what's new in your world, man? Pretty good. How are you doing? Well, we're doing great, and uh, we just really appreciate you doing with the, uh, you know coming on with us today and talking about some of the good old days. And man, it's just uh, it's been a while since uh, since we've heard from you, man. How's everything been going? Pretty pretty good. Can't complain. Well, you know, fun you're... fun fun watching Mahomes and the and the Chiefs. <laughs> well, absolutely. It's his birthday today. He just turned twenty four. He uh, just tied wow. Joe Montana with the amount of four hundred yard career passing games, and he's twenty four years old. Is that not insane? I mean, what? As, as a former quarterback, what what when you see him, what do you, what do you see when you see a guy like that play? I mean, it's it's we haven't seen really anything like this, have we? <laughs> I'm not sure I've seen anything like that little scramble to the right and sling it across your body about 25 yards downfield to the left. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's it's. I saw it's, that. <laughs> it's, that's, I saw that on a highlight last night, and I was like, wait a minute, let me see that again. <laughs> <laughs> So that, that's uh, not a move. That wasn't in your repertoire, Steve, back in the day. Nah, that wasn't. <laughs> no. Nah. I'm surprised Andy's allowing that. <laughs> oh, but he's well, seen Favre do that a few times, so he understands. Yeah, he's a little used to it there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he's, he's, uh, he's fun to watch. Wow. It, it really, really is. And, you know, here in Kansas City, of course, I mean, gosh, you know, it's been since 1970 that. There's been a Super Bowl winner here, but Steve, you got here, you know, in 1994, um, backing up Joe Montana once again, because you were also his backup and Steve Young's backup at San Francisco. Um, you know, Kansas City is a place that, you know, it's a it's a, it's a blue collar place. It's somewhere that uh, a huge, passionate fan base. Um, just kind of talk about what it was like for you making the transition from San Francisco. You, Of course, you'd already been drafted in the sixth round by the Vikings. You played in Pittsburgh and then before going to San Francisco. So you'd been around the league a while. I think you were, uh, you know, well into the into the uh, 10 years, almost into your career by the time you got here. But just kind of talk about um, coming here to Kansas City and kind of what you thought about whenever you were making that transition. Um, I mean, it's, it is a, it's a, it's an avid fan base. There's no, no question. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, going there, I hadn't really, honestly, hadn't, hadn't really thought much about the, the, the situation, I guess, other than, you know, other than it was, you know, I got traded there and, 
was going to be there with Joe. Uh, didn't know how long I was going to back him up, whether it was a year, whether it was two. Um, and, you know, looking for an opportunity to be a starter. Um, and it's, uh, it's, Hey, it's an avid place that, you know, it's probably the only, it's probably the only team in the league where everybody stands during the game and sits down to timeout. So, um, that, that just shows you right there what, uh, what it's all about. Well, you wind up having to start, uh, 1994, Joe Montana is, uh, is hurt for a game and you come in and have a tremendous game um, against the Denver Broncos. It was a loss in overtime, but it was a, you know, a tremendous game for you. Do you think that it was um, that performance that kind of um, gave the Chiefs the confidence in you after Joe Montana retired after that season to, to go ahead with you as the starter? And kind of how did that come about? Do you think, were in your mind, were the Chiefs looking elsewhere? Were they trying to draft someone? Or was it just pretty much like, hey, when Joe retires, this is going to be your deal? No, uh, I, I, I think that was, you know, that was the situation. I knew the offense. Um, you know, Paul Hackett had gone there to run the West Coast offense. <clears throat> um, I do have to say that I don't remember that I lost. The, I don't. I don't remember that we lost in overtime to the Broncos, but um, I do remember playing well. <laughs> um, um, no, it was. It was going to be. <clears throat> you know, it was. It was basically my job or Matt Blunden's job, or they had brought in Rich Gannon. Um, so. You know, one of us was um, was going to be the starter, and um, fortunately, it was me. And uh, you know, we had a good year, good year in '95, and and uh, unfortunately, lost the first playoff game, and had a struggle in in uh, we had a struggle in '96. So um, it, uh, it it you know, it, in in hindsight, it is what it is. Absolutely, it is. And uh, you get to San Francisco a year after Bill Walsh leaves. I think he retires at the end of 88. George Seifert takes over in 89. Uh, to kind of right. talk about transitioning from George Seifert, the great 49ers organization, into the Kansas City Chiefs uh, and uh, dealing with uh, head coach Marty Schottenheimer while he was here, <laughs> Carl Peterson, and just kind of that whole transition from San Francisco, those great players, that great organization, George Seifert to Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah, uh, it was. I'm not gonna lie. It was it was it was a struggle. Um, I, you know, I had, as you had mentioned, I'd been a couple years in Minnesota and a couple years in Pittsburgh, uh, which was uh, a, a little more Pittsburgh, being a little more like like Marty was going to be. I didn't know that at the time, um, but when I came here, it was. Uh, as I, as I always told people afterwards, I had never seen anything like it before I got here and I hadn't seen anything like it when I left until basically, probably until I went to Green Bay or Carolina, which obviously were home, Mike Holmgren and George Seifert again, but, um, just, just to two totally different mentalities. George had been raised under, under Bill Walsh's system of, you know, how we practiced and, and um, how we approached uh, the whole uh, season, um, games, uh, you know, the, just, just the whole, the overall approach. Uh, Marty's was uh, much more, much more rigorous, um, um, you know, kind of, uh, uh, like I said, out of Chuck Noll, out of, 
uh, Dick Vermeil's kind of there's always gas in the tank, um, <laughs> you know, never, never ending, uh, keep working hard and, and, um, um, you know, Marty's, Marty's approach of, you know, defense, defense will win the ball game. Special teams will score a touchdown for us. Offense don't screw it up. Um, worked to have a, always have a winning record. So Marty was always going to be nine and seven at worst. Um, but as we know, unfortunately that didn't, didn't translate into wins in, in playoff games. Um, so it was a very different, very different approach, uh, than, than the offensive side of the ball here in San Francisco. Um, it was, you know, control the ball on offense, whether you were running it or passing it, uh, maintain a drive for 10, 12 plays, score a touchdown at the end of it. Um, defenses were good, very good. Special teams were very good, but just a, just a totally different offense versus defense mentality difference. Well, Steve, um, many fans here in Kansas City will will never forget, and I'm sure this gets brought up to you, uh, hopefully a lot, because it's deserving of that. Um, October 1st, 1995, uh, in a game against the Arizona Cardinals. Steve, uh, this could be a Jeopardy question, although I think, you know, it may be too well known now to know for it to to be obscure. You set the NFL record for a longest run from scrimmage by a quarterback, 76 yards, you scampered, and it was just until in recent times that I had read that you kind of called the shot. Um, you said you were taking this to the house. Obviously, Buddy Ryan's uh, over-aggressive defense was going to crash in on Marcus Allen on a third and one, and you come out the other side and scamper for the touchdown. Just got to take us through that play and what you saw, and uh, yeah. it's really true. You called the shot on that. <laughs> it, um, you know, it, 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 worked, it worked in practice every time we ran it. It was... End of, I think it was the end of the first quarter. Uh, it was the end of a quarter. I know that for a fact. I don't remember if it was the first quarter, but I'm pretty sure it was. Um, I had gone to the sideline, and it was third and one. And Marty looked at me, and he said, let's do it. And, like, you know, just uh, didn't say the play. I knew exactly what he meant. So I went to the huddle. And I must have had that same look on my face, and I said, "Let's let's take this one to the house." And if I honestly don't remember calling the play, I probably did. But the whole thing was set up because Buddy Ryan's defense at that time he would have five down linemen, five linebackers, and a strong safety whose name was Terry Hogue. And the reason that Joe Valerio was out in front of me that we pulled Joe Joe V and that was in the, that was called Joe V cutoff in the play um, was in case they left Terry Hogan we were afraid that he would sniff it out. Well, as we come out of the huddle and go to the line of scrimmage, Terry Ho goes running off and in comes the sixth linebacker. We knew <laughs> we had it. I, I mean, I didn't ever expect it to be that wide open, but we knew we had it. Like I said, we had run it all week in practice. It worked every time against the scout team. We, I would say, felt pretty good about uh, about it working, about at least 
getting us first down. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, that was one of many great plays you had in 1995. I mean, talk about just kind of what a whirlwind that was for you that season. You get drafted in 85, and here you are starting in 95, having all this success. Over 3,100 yards passing, 21 touchdowns, only 10 interceptions. You make the Pro Bowl. You're the AFC Player of the Year. Just talk about 1995 and how successful that was for you and what that meant to you. Uh, it, you know, it it been a it been a lot. It's it's um, it's one of the sweetest times and one of the most bitter times, unfortunately, at the end. Um, yeah. It was uh, something that I had worked my whole career to get to. Um, it was, it was really fun. We, we, we had, um, I would say we had some pretty good camaraderie. We had a lot of good players. Uh, we made a lot of big plays. Um, you know, when I, obviously I'm trying to replace Joe Montana, you know, everybody stepped up their game and, and played, played extremely well that season. Um, um, unfortunately it ended, um, in a, in a way that, uh, obviously none of us wanted, um, for sure the big, you know, my biggest, uh, regret, um, you know, in, in hindsight, um, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't approached it m mentally correctly. Um, you know, felt like I, I was the one that needed to make the plays and, and I, and in hindsight, I, I didn't, I just needed to get the ball to the open guy. Um, you know, wish, wish that I had another opportunity to play in a playoff game. Uh, I think it would have been better for it, but, uh, again, it is, it is what it is looking back on it. Um, but like I said, probably the, the sweetest and the most sour, uh, tastes, um, in, of uh, of my career in uh, in one season. Well, Steve, we've had a lot of your former teammates uh, from that uh, season on the show, and we just recently had James Hasty on, who of course had a magical play early in that season against the Raiders to help you guys win an overtime game. Yeah. And he was yeah, really yeah. Um, really forthright and the disappointment of of that playoff game and. Um, he was very critical of uh, the offensive play calling. A lot of the said a lot of the defensive players were really on uh, Paul Hackett as far as um, the offensive game plan. So what said you know Steve? What what do you think of that? Because a lot of you you, you threw three interceptions in the game. It's the, the temperatures were negative fifteen degrees. You've got uh, Greg Hill and, and Marcus Allen and and, yeah. and Kimball Anders and running backs. So what what was your take on the game plan? I mean, was it was it really that simple that it, that it, the game plan was? Um, kind of poor offensively is that? I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say that that wasn't part of it. I, I I think it was. We we at one point were running the ball well, um, in the game, if I remember correctly. I I can't say why we got away with it. I I, I honestly don't remember. Um, but I would you know I would say that it was uh it was one of the pieces. Um. Again, you know, three interceptions, three missed field goals. Um, you know, why? Yeah, why were we? We did, like I said, try and start throwing the ball at some point. I don't. I don't remember exactly where, at one point, at what point in the game. Um, but uh, I just, just, 
you know, three things that uh, that didn't help us win the game because we had a we had a tremendous defense. We were great on in special teams, um, and it's like I said, it's um, it's it's unfortunate. So, you know, something something that I will always regret. Yeah, I mean, we talked to James Hasty. He regrets it too. He says he just he can't bring himself to come back to Kansas City to go to a game because that that still lingers with him. How he feels like he let the city down and didn't get a Super Bowl that you guys were supposed to get it that year. He said, and I mean, kind of talk about that game a little bit more in depth, going down the the stretch. Uh, talk about whether Lynn Elliott missing those field goals kind of weighed on you, kind of dragged you guys down a little bit. Just seeing one missed field goal, then the second one. Uh, being benched yeah. by for Rich Gannon at the end of the game. And James Hasty said that after the game, him, Derek Thomas, and uh, Marcus Allen were crying like babies in the locker room. If you saw any of that, just kind of talk a little bit more in depth about it. Yeah, we were, you know, we were all upset. Um, uh, we, we, you know, we knew that uh, we knew that we should have won. Um, and and with all those, you know, with those three things happening, we still almost did win. Um, mm -hmm. Almost, I know, doesn't count. Um, but uh, it was it was a, a huge disappointment to to everyone. Um, um, it, you know, wasn't, wasn't supposed to be that way. And, uh, it's just, it's a, you know, again, just very unfortunate. Um, you know, I, 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 I blame myself. So that's, you know, that's what I live with. And, and, uh, I don't, I don't think it would, I, it hasn't stopped me and I wouldn't let it stop me from coming back to Kansas city in the future. Um, good. <laughs> uh, it's, um, you know, like I said, it's, uh, I, 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 I blame myself. I look at myself in the mirror and blame myself. So, uh, um, I can, you know, I can, I live with it and, uh, you know, move, move on. Well, Steve, uh, we got to talk about this. Uh, you had a quote out there in 1995. I don't know if you regret this, if this was an unfortunate quote, but talking <laughs> about the food, the worst restaurant in San Francisco is better than the best restaurant in Kansas City. Um, yeah. Let's kind of go into that. Well, I'll just, I'll just leave it at, uh, yes, it was, it was credited to me. Uh, unfortunately, I never said it. Really? Uh, the person who, who wrote it has... Uh, uh, has apologized to me numerous times. Um, wow. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, and, uh, for someone who, uh, as much as a uh, foodie as I am, uh, I don't think I, I don't think I ever would have said that, uh, honestly, uh, went to, uh, <laughs> went to a lot of good restaurants. Um, I had a, I had somebody there and Joe that had already scouted them all out. So, <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, no, I don't, I don't, you know, that's just not, um, uh, I want to, you know, in hindsight, I'm not, I'm not sure I was, uh, smart enough to ever think that quote up, but, um, you know, that's, uh, definitely not, uh, definitely not how, uh, my wife and I felt. So well, we're it's, glad unfortunate. it's unfortunate that it happened, um, and that it was in a, you know, was in a major publication, um, but 
you know, we can, uh, I guess we can, I guess I can laugh about it. Uh, when that person who wrote it and I usually see one another, it's the first, uh, uh, first topic of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to set the record straight for any cheese fans that are listening to this and may still attribute that to you. They can set the record straight and know that, yeah, that, that was not from you. No, no, <laughs> definitely well, not. Uh, you know, Steve, you know, the thing of it is, you know, of course, um, your tenure as a starter ended here after 1996, which was a, it looked like another team that was going to be just ferocious. Uh, I think you guys started uh, 4-0 or 4-0 or 5-0 and then wound up missing the playoffs. We did. And then um, it's kind of a deal where, you know, I've read that you kind of feel that Marty Schottenheimer gave up on you too early. Um, kind of talk about that. Uh, I mean, we went, we, you know, we, I think we went four and zero in the first quarter, yeah. we went oh and four in the second quarter. Um, we weren't, you know, we had, we just, we just, we weren't, we weren't playing as well as we were the year before. I think that, you know, I think that with as well as we had played in 95, um, uh, you know, the thought was don't, don't change anything. 96 will be just as good. And that's in hindsight, um, probably, probably not the, probably not the best. Uh, you know, we lost, I think we had lost, uh, maybe we lost Willie. Maybe we lost JJ. I don't remember exactly, but we had some, had some young receivers, Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that struggled, um, uh, we were, I would say we were, I don't, I don't remember exactly, but obviously we were probably still just as good on defense. Offensively, we were struggling. Um, we just, we just didn't, we just didn't play as well. I mean, I, I, I think the, I think the playoff loss from the year before, you know, lingered and, um, you know, we midway were four and four and, I don't. I don't remember exactly. After three quarters of the season, we were probably. I don't know, six and six, maybe. Maybe I, I don't. I don't remember. But uh, you know, we we needed to go to Buffalo on the last game of the season and win, and mm-hmm. and uh, didn't. Unfortunately, I think. I think had we ended up eight and eight, we would have made the playoffs. Um, but uh, we, you know, we'd been, we'd been through a, I had been through a lot mentally um, at that point, and um, uh, definitely wasn't at my best, that's for sure. Um, but uh, it, you know, wasn't wasn't what uh, wasn't what anybody expected, that's for sure. Well, Steve, what makes Marty kind of so polarizing as a head coach? We've had a, a lot of players on, former teammates, years that love Marty, swear by him. We made a film for Marty. Uh, as we, you know, he's going uh, through Alzheimer's right now. And uh, yeah. so we yeah. made a film for him and got some players to send in videos, well wishes, some memories. And then you've got kind of a, a bunch over here that uh, don't see eye to eye with Marty. They didn't have the best experience with him and uh, they didn't want to partake in the film. So kind of, what makes him polarizing and kind of separated the locker room a little bit, if you will? Um. I, I think what I think what's polarizing about him is that he was, you know, he was very into the game. He was a 
he was a great manager of the game, you know, when to use timeouts and conserve time. Um, you know, his, obviously, as I talked about earlier, his approach to the game was from the, from the defensive side. Um, so, so different, you know, tough, tough for a quarterback. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, but that I, I think just his whole, his whole approach to how to win games, um, you know, was, was, uh, and, and how into it he was, um, is, is what guys loved. And, um, he, you know, like I said, he, he, uh, he had his, he had his, his rules as far, as far as how to win games and, and we did win a lot of games. There's, there's no question. Um, so I, um, I think that was the, you know, I think that's the very, the, the positive side of it. Uh, the negative side probably, I would say would mostly come from guys on the, probably on the offense because his, <laughs> his attitude was usually, you know, offense don't screw it up. Um, you know, run the ball, control the clock. Um, and again, like I said, in the, in a right in the regular season, that was, um, you know, that was, that was fine. We were always going to be nine and seven, 10 and six. Um, but didn't, didn't lend itself to uh, winning in the playoffs. So that's my, um, you know, that's, that's, that's my, my guess as to why, you know, some guys are, are disgruntled with them. Um, but, uh, nah, I mean, he was, he was, he was definitely a winner and, and, um, like I said, knew, knew how to win games from, uh, from a coaching, uh, perspective. We've also heard from a, a few players here and there that uh, maybe his mantras got old and the, they kind of ran dry as one play at a time, row the boat. Uh, I don't know if anything like that, if you noticed anything like that, that kind of the team was like, okay, we've heard this. Um, like, I um, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't really remember those, um, as much. Um, you know, I, I, I just remember more of his, his, like I said, his approach to the game, you know, it was always, you know, did we win the field position battle? Mm -hmm. Um, did we win the turnover battle? Um, uh, and, and, you know, those were, those were his, those were kind of the two things that he always went back to. And that, again, and that's, you know, that's a defensive uh, that's a defensive perspective. He always felt that we needed to score 21. If we scored 21 points, we would win. You know, that his defenses, like I said, were going to be good enough to hold a team to less than 21 points and that, you know, special teams will score a touchdown for us. Oh, well, Steve, um, you, yeah. But, but his, you know, that was, that was, you know, those, those, like I said, that uh, the approach to the games was, was always the same. You know, and that and that yeah. and that won a lot of games. Well, Steve, you wind up retiring uh, from football after a 15-year NFL career um, in 1999. I'm just talking about kind of the last 20 years, um, kind of how you've transitioned to the next phase of your you know life and career, and kind of what football means to you today as someone that's kind of been out of the game now for for 20 years. Um, just kind of talk about uh, how the last 20 years have been and, and and how you view the game now. Uh, last. 
the last 20 years have been great. Um, raised a couple of kids that are, you know, 20 something year olds and, um, uh, got to coached, coached high school football for eh, approximately 15 years. Uh, got to coach my son, um, see them win a state championship. Uh, uh, you know, like I said, um, still close, still close to the game. Uh, still actually work for the 40 honors part time, kind of a really? goodwill ambassador position. Um, nice. um, you know, so it's last, last 20 years, they, they've been good football, the, the, what football has afforded me, um, I'm thankful for, and it, uh, continues to, um, I sit on the, on the board of the 49ers foundation. Um, so, uh, football is, uh, is still really good to me. And uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm blessed. Uh, so I've got two two uh, young adult children, healthy, um, successful, um, wonderful wife. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, very fortunate. Well, Steve, uh, you played for the 49ers and the Chiefs, kind of your two longest stints in the NFL with uh, two organizations. Talk about some of the teammates you were closest with, had some of the best bonds and relationships with uh, with the 49ers uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, my, well, my, my closest relationship is with Joe, um, mm-hmm. and, that, and that spans both teams. Um, yeah. I am, am here, obviously, in the Bay Area, so I see a lot more 49er guys and and kind of the the group that i work with as is technically an alumni group so um uh get to see a lot more 49er guys um unfortunately i don't uh i can't really say that i keep in touch with a lot of guys you know i, I don't really keep in touch with anybody uh, on a on a regular basis mm-hmm. um I'll, I'll reach out to somebody every now and then when, when, uh, something reminds me or, uh, reminds me of them or reminds me of, uh, something that happened. Um, um, so I think that's, I think that's more, uh, um, more a situation of, you know, being here, um, in the, in the Bay area geographically, um, uh, just, just, you know, makes it easier to, uh, mm-hmm the guys that I, that I played with here. Um, uh, not that, uh, cause I still keep in touch with, you know, guys here and there from, from other teams. So, uh, just, it just, like I said, it makes it easier that I'm here. Well, Steve, uh, before we let you go, one more thing we got for you that something Clint and I kind of joke about back and forth, uh, referring to you is, is your cadence and how, if there was a cadence hall of fame, you would be a first ballot inductee, <laughs> your voice inflection, being able to draw the defense off sides. Did that actually take work? Uh, it did. Uh, it did. I, I, I can say that, um, uh, we did a lot of work on it in college or, our college cadence was very um, rhythmical. Um, that it didn't have uh, it didn't have any uh, numbers in it, or it, it just it just had it had three words. 
Um, but the way that we, the way that our coach taught us, Homer Smith taught us to use it, and then our our change ups on it. Um, but when I when I got to the NFL, the the person um, who holds a little spot in my heart is a guy by the name of Archie Manning, who wow, when yeah. I was a rookie with the Vikings, uh, and he when he retired is basically how I made the team. He's the one that taught me um, how to use. Um, how to use the numbers, you know, you would say it's on two or it's on three or whatever in the huddle. Mm-hmm. Um, but how to use the numbers and associate them with the numbers of the play that you called. So for example, you know, in the 49 in the West coast system, red, right, 22 Z and on two, you know, to make it easier, it's 22, that's the protection. It's on to make it easier for everybody else to associate those, um, the, the snap count with, with the play. Yeah. And I learned that as a rookie, like I said, and continued it throughout my career. Um, and, and got good at doing, Actually, I think I got good at doing hard counts, honestly, running scout teams, <laughs> trying to get, you know, trying to, uh, defensive line coaches saying, hey, try and, try and draw them off sides, and, you know, on the scout, on the, on the scout um, period. Um, I'm sure you got so, Derek Thomas a few times. Uh, I, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I got a lot of people that weren't too happy about it. Um, my, my, my favorite if I may finish with a little story, my favorite was yep. uh, Chester McLaughlin, God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Um, once uh, in a game in Kansas City, I, I got him on a on a hard count, and he basically leapt over the line and smashed me into the ground. And then he helped me up, and he said, "God damn it, Bono, would you stop those long cadence, those <laughs> hard counts? You're killing me." <laughs> That's great. That's great. Love Chester. Um, um, Steve, I tell you what, I can't tell you how much we enjoyed this and, and really, um, you know, in the interest of full disclosure here, Noah and I both, you know, we're, uh, we're, uh, 35 years old. We're, you know, this was like our indoctrination of becoming chiefs fans was, uh, you know, Joe's Joe's first year here and then on into your era and, and enjoying those nineties teams and everything about that is why we're sports fans today and why pretty much why we're in the media today. So I want to thank you for being a yeah. part of that. And thank you for uh, the years in Kansas thank city you. and for a great, thank you. Oh, oh Steve, man. I hope, we that, think, uh, you know. I hope that for the people of Kansas city, they can, uh, win a super bowl soon. Yeah. Um, I had, I had hoped that, uh, they could have done it under Alex. Um, but, uh, unfortunately it didn't happen and hopefully they can, uh, yeah. they can do it with Patrick Mahomes. We're, we're hoping for it. We're on our way and in, in reigning MVP and looks like off to a great start again. Uh, Steve, thank you yeah. so much again. We'll catch up soon again, my man. We can't thank you enough, and uh, best of luck, my friend. It was an honor. Thank you, gentlemen. Take care. You too. Well, there you have it. Pulled no punches with Steve Bono here. He was happy to answer our questions, happy to take us back to the 95 season, to the 96 season, to the heartbreaking playoff loss. The fact that he never said that about Kansas City restaurants, there you have it. He didn't even say it. We've been kind of He's always been kind of thrown under the bus for that by cheese fans. And now we know he, he didn't even say it. So we'll take that one off the board for Steve. 
Absolutely. I mean, we posted that we were going to have Steve on, and a lot of people in the comments section were talking about uh, the restaurant comments and has he found a good steak in Kansas City yet. And uh, to know that uh, not just misquoted, almost just putting words in his mouth, possibly, that the reporter did. Uh, Steve says that whenever he catches up with that guy, uh, it's kind of the first thing they talk about or bring up. But uh, uh, the reporter has apologized to Steve Bono, and I guess Kansas City needs to as well. Uh, maybe not uh, for his play in the playoff game against the Colts and uh, his play throughout the 96 season, but at least that quote we can forgive him for. We can, and um, you know, you look back and he's just a very, he's a very cerebral guy and uh, he's very to the point and he's, you know, always somebody that, you know, was always seemed to me like he was, you know, really dialed in. He didn't play with a lot of emotion. Maybe he didn't have like a lot of leadership qualities in the whole offense. Maybe wasn't able to get it done because there wasn't really anybody except for, you know, maybe a Marcus Allen to rally the troops and get this thing going. But when the quarterback is kind of a stoic player, like Steve was, um, you know, you saw, uh, him, you heard in the interview, he, you know, kind of questioned the game plan from Paul Hackett. Doesn't know why they kind of started throwing the ball when they were one of the top uh, rush offenses in the NFL. And so, you know, um, it's still something we go back to that game is still fresh in our minds. Uh, as a 12 and 11 year old that yes. we remember it well, but there you have it with Steve Bono. You'll never find guests like that anywhere. We scare the earth. Like you said, to get the Lynn Elliott's, the Steve Bono's and uh, James pasty from our second episode of this podcast. So appreciate it from Steve. And you know what? We're going to keep it rolling because we've got our good friend, big Sean Smith joining us from down in uh, Dallas, talking to some uh, chiefs and Ravens talking about uh, what he's seen so far from the chiefs. Sean, welcome to the show, man. It's been a while, my friend. How are you, buddy? Oh, man, I've just been living the dream, man. Uh, <laughs> running my foundation, the 91 Ways Foundation, um, inside the schools, promoting childhood literacy and childhood hunger, um, being a dad, going to gymnastic meets, volleyball games, and cheer practices. So, busy, busy. And helping my wife run her business. So just pretty business. That, and then I got a couple of clients that's in the NFL, college guys and high school kids. I train D-line work and do some stuff with. So keeping myself active, at least for the most part. And hopefully uh, still catching some football here and there, my friend. Oh, that's that's a must. I mean, <laughs> my wife knows my wife knows to leave me alone uh, for the most part on Sundays. And Saturdays <laughs> and Thursdays. So. Well, and Monday nights and sometimes Friday nights. Mon I mean, Monday nights, Monday nights is not too bad because every now and then the Bears was playing. They'll watch. Like my daughter's is so funny because the Bears was playing. She's like, "Daddy, who you cheering for?" I'm like, I'm not, "This game, I'm not cheering for nobody. I got friends or clients on a team or whatever." So like, okay, well, I'm going for this team, Daddy. All right, <laughs> especially my youngest one. She, you know, but uh, they get excited. When the Chiefs win, so you know, Chiefs, the house is kind of divided. Uh, Chiefs and Cowboys fans. Well, both teams so, two and zero right now, and uh, your former team here, the Kansas City Chiefs, off to a two and zero start, as are the Cowboys. But man, when you when you watch this team play and you see this offense, it's like man, you think back to the 2010 team when you guys won the division and you had a, a really strong defense that year. Um, and, and just couldn't hold up in the playoffs with uh, with that offense and Matt Castle. But, man, when you see Patrick Mahomes play, what is it as a defensive player, when you look at what he does, what is 
what even goes through your mind? Is it just like, it's like I've never seen? Man, it what, what goes to my mind? What goes to my mind is as long as we get to stop, he's gonna score points. I mean, he's gonna score points. I mean, to to play if I'm a defensive player playing playing for the Chiefs right now, a guy like Chris Jones, uh, Tyron Matthew, guys like that, I should they should know. Hey, let's get off the field and let's create turnovers. So guess what? The offense score. At least fourteen or more points, we're gonna win, and we don't let no points up because you gotta think about it. It's easier to play when when you're playing with a lead instead Absolutely. of playing from behind. You know what I mean? As you notice that game the other day against the Raiders, yeah, we were down in the beginning. The next thing you know, we scored what 20, 21, 28 points unanswered in the second yeah. quarter, and, and, <laughs> and that was it. You know what I mean? And, and I think there's still more. We could have kept the foot on the gas, but I think Andy Reid didn't. The thing I like about the Chiefs this year is um, we got so many weapons. We're we're like the New England Patriots right now. Got a lot of weapons, using a lot of motion shifts, and you know different ways to get the playmakers the ball. You know, even our role players are good players now. Um, offensively, you know, everybody we talk about offense, but defensively, I still think we're we're slacking that linebacker. You know, Kitchens is a good guy. Nothing wrong with it, but I still. Need a little bit more, need more out of the linebackers and a little bit out of the corners, you know, for us to make a, I think, for the Chiefs to make a real contend, for the contend for the Super Bowl. Well, Sean, somebody that I need something more out of is Frank Clark. He's lining his pockets with 105. I didn't want to say that because it's funny you say that. <laughs> because I, 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 I said it on Twitter the other day during I'm the game, we need more pressure. We need more pressure because Chris Jones is getting it done by himself. But the reason I say that is because I had a first-round draft pick this year, LJ Collar, that plays for the Seahawks. He's one of my clients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they traded from Seattle to Kansas City for this guy. And I'm like, all right, y'all got my guy, my client in Seattle, which is good. But we traded for this guy, and this guy still hasn't done nothing yet. You know, yeah, he has a high motor, but I haven't seen no sacks. I'm, I'm trying to see them sacks he was getting in Seattle. The thing is, it's a different defense a little bit, too, though. You know, I don't like Spags anyway, but that's a different story. But you know, No, let's hey, get into that. Why don't you like Spags? I don't like Spags because uh, when Spags was the head coach of then the St. Louis Rams, you remember when he was the head coach of the Rams? Yep, yep. Um, I had got cut from Cleveland. And I came, I, they brought me in, St. Louis brought me in for a visit. They was going to sign me. They didn't sign me because I had, Dre beat headphones on my head. They told my agent, to this day, my agent can tell you, they told my agent because I had headphones on my head, I don't seem like a humble person that just got cut. Oh, my gosh. Really? Wow. <laughs> so that's why I have a, a, a problem with Spaz. Spaz can kiss my rear, you know what. So <laughs> that, that's the real, real, real problem I have, you know. I don't like, you know, things, things you know, things come up all the time with players. I mean, you see, like, with the Jalen Ramsey, Taco, the kid in Miami. Things mm-hmm. happen, and sometimes, even with the Antonio Bryant situation in, in Oakland, sometimes these GMs feel like they could talk to you a certain kind of way and and, and they, they could do whatever. Uh, even Scott Tioli, I remember when I was in Kansas City. I didn't ever – when I left Kansas City in 2000, and, uh, after that playoff run, when I left, I didn't want to leave. I went to that was the worst. I tell people today that that's the worst decision. I against Tennessee, had fun there, but that was the worst decision I had made when I left to go to Tennessee. 
And then I still ended up coming back to Kansas City. I should have never left. But Scott T. Oli tried to lowball me and think I was going to get money out there on the open market and free agency. He tried to really bully me. Like, well, you got you to gotta know Scott to be in the office room. There's other players that I can tell you. Probably, other players can tell you how he talks to you, you know what I mean? But if you wanted his guys, you wanted his guys. I was Matt Castle? Romeo guy. Huh? Matt Castle? Yeah, Matt Castle's his guy. Matt exactly. Castle was Scott Teola's guy. You know what I mean? If you're not one of his guys, it's, it's kind of a little, a little different. Cause he's, Scott was always leery about me, but Romeo had me and knew what type of guy I was and Todd Haley, so they vouched for me. Yeah, 2010, your, your career kind of became rejuvenated after that because you'd uh, been to the NFL, you'd played for the Lions, and then before going back to the Las Vegas Locomotives, then you come to Cincinnati, and then you're you're in Kansas City, and you you have a really good season. And uh, that was the Chiefs had just, I think, maybe the year before transition into maybe uh to the three four defense. Now they're yep. transitioning back to the four three. So you were one of those guys that could kind of play anywhere in that three four. You could play inside or outside. I and, play inside or out, and it was just also. I mean, I was there for leadership. You know, I was one of the vocal guys besides mm-hmm. DJ Brandon Flowers. Tom Bailey, I mean, I was one of the focal points on the defense. And um, it was just, I love my time there. I mean, I, as, as you notice, I started my career with the Cowboys. And I finished my career with the Chiefs. So it was just like on my social media, you always see me Chiefs, 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 because that's where I finished that. Uh, Sean, great, I've, always, I've, always, I've always wanted to ask you this um, because we're cool. You know, we've had John a few times. Um, you, you know, there was a lot of rumors about you in 2010, a lot of ne- headlines about. Things that ways that you would get into opponents' heads at the at the bottom of piles and things. Do you do you remember any of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a couple of accusations. People called me the nut grabber. They started making videos. <laughs> I mean, it was just so much different things going on. But you know, I got I got they tried to find me, and then when they looked back at the video, there was no evidence that I did anything, and. I didn't get fined, so well, it was just funny. It's always accusations, accusations. People always make accusations. Don't get me wrong; different type of shit go on during the pile. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> a guy's got eyes poked out. I mean, anything can happen. As you see every Sunday, you see something going on around the pile every Sunday. Well, whatever so you, you were doing, we need you to teach Frank Clark. Uh, nah, I'm gonna tell you what Frank Clark needs to do. He needs to just stop lining up so fucking wide. Get in a tight seven, tight six, or, you know, tighten down his alignment and rush the outside shoulder and dominate. He's getting pressure because, I mean, I watch, when I watch the game, if you just watch Chris Jones, if they put Chris Jones and Frank Clark on the same side, I think it could be a, a lot more magic and get more pressure. Yeah, I think Maybe. they should run some games with those two. Yes, I mean, you could run TEs, you could yeah. run ETs, you could run a whole bunch of, you could, you could run a whole bunch of different, different games with them after watching miles garrett last night that's what frank clark should be doing absolutely i'll tell you what um great stuff thanks so much for for coming on with us again really running down some of these topics sean bringing it as always we love it thanks so much for joining us man we'll catch up soon my friend uh i appreciate having you bet you bet thank you big sean bringing it hard taking us back to 2010 when well he was known as the quote-unquote nut grabber (laughs) Uh, On the bottom of the piles, they never were able to prove it. So I guess we're going to let Sean off the hook for that all these years later. And he loves what he sees from Mahomes so far. And, uh, you know, 
Uh, Sean Smith, still a guy, still out there, very active. He's a Chiefs fan in a in a Dallas Cowboys home. So good luck to Sean. Dealing Absolutely, with that. and uh, I th- I think he ne- I still say he needs to come here and teach that ball grabbing technique to Frank Clark because Frank needs something to get going here. It's been two weeks, and we haven't seen a lot out of him. He's making $105 million, had a really nice career up there in Seattle, and it's it's got to carry over $105 million. The picks we gave up, he has got to come to play. He has got to be a difference maker, a game wrecker, a game changer, and we haven't seen it. We're going to need it definitely this week against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that he brought up uh, how much he doesn't like. He has a distaste, a dislike for Steve Spagnuolo uh, because uh, he saw him wearing his headphones kind of up on his head and uh, thought that, that that just didn't signify the kind of player he wanted, the kind of leader, uh, the kind of work ethic, this is the kind of person that he wanted. That is a strange one. And uh, I disagree with Steve for that take and uh, kind of being judgmental there. And that was strange. But hopefully Steve uh, can put that behind him and just lead this defense to where they need to go. Well, maybe we saw flashes of it. When you give up two straight scoring drives as they did against the Raiders, followed by and a shutout the rest of the game, including two turnovers. Uh, maybe as this is a work in progress, maybe that's signs that the work in progress is uh, is coming to be. And maybe um, Coach Spagnuolo is is implementing this as the as the roster turned over and as the personnel is different. This is a defense that's going to have to kind of gel as the season goes. We don't have high expectations. Let's be honest. We said before the season, if this defense gets to 23rd or 24th in the league, that's... Yeah about the ceiling and maybe we're wrong maybe what we saw sunday indicates that this defense is going to really be able to do some nice things they really started to buckle down in coverage um you like what you saw uh from the pass rush um after the first two drives so maybe this (laughs) defense um that is certainly a work in progress is um maybe more close to a finished product than we thought but we'll get a big load of that on sunday as it's gonna need to be because i mean we talk about this and how we are Right there with the Patriots, we're really the only two teams in the AFC that you can look at, and uh, I guess we'll learn more about the Ravens this weekend, like we talked about earlier. But and maybe they could be in there as well. Uh, but it's it for right now. It's looking like the Patriots and the Chiefs, and the Patriots are going to start eight and zero. They just are, folks. I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, after that, they've got five games in a row, and these are the only possible games that I see that they could lose. And they are, it starts uh, November 3rd is when the first chance the Patriots can lose. So enjoy that, November 3rd. And they are at the Ravens. Then they're at the Eagles. They're home to the Cowboys, at the Texans, and home to the Chiefs. Five games in a row. Those five are games that they can lose. Other than that, it's Cupcake City. They're rolling. They're winning them all. So there's five games. We got to get them to lose some of those, especially to us, if we want this home field advantage. You're right, and that's why I mentioned this game against the Ravens being so huge because you've yep. got to win these AFC games, especially against a team like the Ravens, who's probably going to win the AFC North. I don't see, I mean, with what we've seen from Pittsburgh and Cincinnati so far, you can scratch them off uh, pretty much. And um, the Browns, I, I don't believe in them. I know they beat the Jets on Monday night. I, I'm not a believer. I think this is Baltimore's division to lose. So this has playoff ramifications. It's going to be a playoff-like atmosphere Big time stuff going on at Arrowhead, and I'm so pumped for it. I can't wait to see how Patrick Mahomes handles the second go around against the Ravens. I think this Ravens secondary, well, it's worse than it was last year because Jimmy Smith's not going to be there. He's out for the year, and he's a very solid corner for the Baltimore Ravens, and I think they're going to be tested. They were tested last week. Kyler Murray carved him up. A rookie that um, you know kind of struggled in week one before rallying his troops to a tie 
against the Lions. So yes. I don't know. I think this is going to be big. Now, here's a question I have for you. The Chiefs running game um, week two was was not good. Now, we have no Damian Williams. Um, and Shady McCoy is, is limited with an ankle. Darwin Thompson's up. I guess Darrell Williams is going to have to come up. What's this running game going to look like? And is it to the point where you need to just abandon it altogether? I think yeah, we talked do. about this while watching uh, the Raiders game and uh, messaging back and forth that why are they running the football? Like, I know you have to at some point, I, I guess, because that just seems logical. That's just what everyone's done. And I guess you have to keep people guessing, maybe, possibly, perhaps. But Patrick Mahomes is so magical with this football. And we have these weapons. If you're handing the ball off, you're taking Mahomes out of a play. And he, it, now it's a third and 10 or possibly a third and 20 with a penalty. And obviously Mahomes can still convert that because we saw that. But I think Mahomes has to have the ball in his hand every single play because he's so magical. We've never seen anything like it. I mean, you can talk about the Dan Marinos and the Aaron Rodgers and the Brett Favre's. And yeah, they were magic with the football too. But I just don't think even as great as those players are, Marino, Rodgers, Favre, I don't think we've ever seen anything like Patrick Mahomes. And I think he has to have the football in his hand every play, throwing the ball, making the decision, deciding what's going to happen with that play. I don't think you can give it to a McCoy or a Williams and it's a one yard in a cloud of dust and now it's second and 10, second and 11 if they're stopped behind the line. I don't think you can do that. I, Mahomes has to have the ball in his hand every time. I know it's crazy. You've got to run the ball sometimes. Keep them guessing. Play action pass. If you're Alex Smith, you need the play action pass to open it up because you got one or two reads. You need something to just pop wide open because you, you that's your only chance. You can't, you can't fit a ball in like Mahomes does. Mahomes can. I think they should throw it every down. It's crazy, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm crazy. No, I don't think you are. We talked about it, and we're just, what are they doing? Why are they? I mean, you saw Mahomes carve up the Raiders for 270 yards in the second quarter. And uh, anytime you run the ball, and especially when it's not working, and against the Raiders, it certainly wasn't. And I don't really yeah. know why that is. Um, I, you know, just looking without looking at the tape closely, I mean, it just seemed like our offensive line was not really creating a lot of running lanes. Uh, for Cam Irving struggles in run blocking. He was getting blown up anytime he tried it. Yeah, which is too bad because he's now your left tackle for the next four to six weeks. So unless they, unless they retool the offensive line, which may occur depending on what happens Sunday. But there's some injuries. People are nicked up. Um, this is going to be a big game. We're excited for it, and I hope you're excited to uh, be a listener here on the official PM15 podcast as we come to you every single week. Um, I'm excited for this podcast. I go to listen to it, even though I'm here recording it right now. Every During the week, I go to listen to it the weekend before the game. It gets me pumped up uh, to hear the great guests that we have. I want to hear them again. I want to hear uh, kind of our predictions to know if we're right or wrong. Make sure I... I hear everything that we said and uh, that I'm not selling a bill of goods here, that I'm on par with what we're saying and can carry it over into the next week. But I also am excited for the possible news that Jalen Ramsey could be a Kansas City Chief. What say you? Yeah, this is something that's very interesting, and um, we're going to see what happens with that. This is an ongoing deal. The Chiefs have reportedly have interest. Jalen Ramsey is one of the top corners in the league, if not number one. Uh, he's still young. Um there's going to be some compensation and some real money and, and uh, capital involved for this to get done, which I understand the idea. You know, you're building this team, you're building a team around Mahomes, and you're giving up first round picks to guys like Frank Clark. And if you do it for, give up your first for Jalen Ramsey, but this team's going all in. If this is the, you know, expectation, the expectation before the season, Clark Hunt said Super Bowl or bust. They're living up to that so far. And especially if you're going after a player like this, I can kind of see both sides 
um, you know, because it's going to stunt maybe your growth as far as uh, building the, the draft picks that you had or, or signing Chris Jones to a long-term deal. Maybe that's out, but I think it's something you have to look into. You have to consider uh, when you think yeah. about uh, the chess maneuvers that are going on. Uh, the Patriots get Antonio Brown. You get Jalen Ramsey, and you're right back. You're right back in it. You're right back to the point where you think you might be able to stop them in the playoffs or stop them in the regular season matchup coming up. Um, I'm good with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, we'll see what happens. But um, Jalen Ramsey's way, 24 years old. He's the best corner in the game, along with Stephon Gilmore, who, of course, is a New England Patriot. It's an arms race. The Patriots went out and got Antonio Brown. The Chiefs. Like you said, it's a chess match. They have to make their corresponding move, and it is Jalen Ramsey. A lot of people are saying, what about Xavier Howard? What about Patrick Peterson? Can we wait on them? The Cardinals have already told us no. The Dolphins have already told us no. They're not trading those guys. Jalen Ramsey is on the trade block. I think you have to make this move. If you're talking about two first-rounders, because our picks are going to come at the end of the the round, uh, hopefully the 32nd pick overall if we win the Super Bowl, you're probably going to have to give up two first-round picks. And it's kind of... I think you have to do it. it. It also comes with a huge contract for this 24-year-old best corner in the game. I think it's worth it. You're going to say goodbye to Chris Jones because you can't afford all these guys. You'll franchise them. Hopefully, you'll get some picks back from that. But I think you just you have to make this move, and I think it's a no-brainer. It's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation a little bit in the fact that you need those picks because you're going to have all these expensive contracts. You need some really talented younger players like a McCole Hardman, a Juan Thorhill on these cheap Rookie deals for four to five years. Uh, you got to make your way with that. You cannot just go out and pay all these great players these massive salaries like we've seen with a Frank Clark, like we saw back when we had Justin Houston, Eric Berry. You've got to be able to fill your roster through the draft. But the Chiefs are going for a Super Bowl right now. They have to answer what the Patriots did, and I think you have to make this move as tough as it is. Well, there you go. We'll see what happens with that. We're going to keep a close eye. Uh, obviously, Sunday. 12 o'clock kickoff at Arrowhead Stadium on CBS. And I'll tell you what, thank you guys so much for joining us here on the official PM15 podcast. We hope that you'll uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. Any way you choose to take in a podcast, you've got this show. you got it for free, and you've got it every week. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week uh, as we look ahead to the Detroit Lions and on into the uh, rest of the season. Can't wait to do it with you guys and uh, more guests coming up here on the official PM15 podcast. Thank you so much for joining us.